Welcome back to another episode of the Jacob Johnston Show. All right, so as you know, the Democrats have been having their national convention all week. And a national convention, well, well, a lot of us may think, well, what's the big deal? They're just going off and officially stating what we all know. Joe Biden is the nominee for the president. Well, the national convention is really more than that. There's a lot of pomp and circumstance that goes into the national convention. It's a week where that political party has almost near exclusive focus of the media on them as they put their best foot forward. It's where they highlight what their agenda is, where they show that they are presidential, where they go off and show the excitement around their candidate and make their case as to why their political opponent is not as good of a choice as they themselves are, right? There's a celebration, there's entertainment, people are tuning in. Except for in 2020, the Democrats' national convention is a complete disaster. Now, let's face it, the Democrats were always going to have a bit of a problem in selling their case for why we should vote for them in 2020. Before COVID hit, what happened? We were having a booming economy that was based off of Trump's policies. Things that the Democrats were saying, no, this is horrible. They oppose. You know, all the things that were leading to greater prosperity and economic freedom. We saw that black and Hispanic communities we're hitting record low unemployment and prospering more than they have in over a generation, probably more than they have ever prospered. Well, maybe ever prospered is a bit of an overstatement. There was a time, you know, it's interesting if you actually go back and take a look at the black community, for instance, they were prospering more under Jim Crow laws than they are now. And that's not to say Jim Crow laws were good or anything. But it's because the family unit, you know, the nuclear family wasn't yet destroyed. And so even under the repressive laws and policies of the Democrats who were full-fledged KKK at the time, you know, they were still able to prosper because of the family structure. Well, the Democrats destroyed the family structure in the black community, but they were finally prospering more than they have in decades and over a generation. Right? Women, women were hitting near record low unemployment and were prospering more than they had in a generation. International relationships were better than they have been in decades. The Middle East was calming down, right? North Korea, North Korea was calming down. We almost never hear anything about North Korea anymore. And you know, with the way our media is, if North Korea was out there doing some horrible things, they wouldn't waste an opportunity. They wouldn't hesitate to use that to go after Trump and say, oh, he failed. So international relationships were going good. And when you really looked at it, you know, whether you think Trump is just the luckiest person to have ever walked this earth, because in 2016, his opponent was Hillary Clinton. He had the good fortune to be running against Hillary Clinton, right? Or now in 2020, he's running against Joe Biden, a senile old man who is suffering from onset of dementia, can't even remember. Well, you're lucky if Joe Biden even remembers who he is. So it was always going to be a tough sell to the American people. But then COVID hit, right? COVID hit. And what had happened? Well, Trump initially was coming out and saying, hey, this is a big deal. We need to start taking proactive actions now. You know, and he started banning international travels. Now, Yes, you know, you could try and say, well, his response wasn't perfect, but what is the perfect response to a new virus for which you have no information or data about, no nothing about? How do you determine what the perfect response is? So any event, he comes out and says, hey, you know, COVID, this is a big deal. This is serious. 
we need to take actions now. You know, and one of the things that Trump did that saved a lot of lives, couldn't save every life, but saved a lot of lives, is the fact that he ignored the experts. Because remember, back in January, the experts were saying, oh, there's no evidence that this is human-to-human transmissible. The experts were saying, there's nothing to really worry about here. Everything's under control. Right? So he ignored the experts and was issuing guidelines, you know, warning about COVID-19. And what did the Democrats do? And the Democrats said, oh, ignore Trump. He's overreacting. You don't need to do anything. Go gather in masses. Go, you know, celebrate and party at big events. Go to all of these, you know, crowded areas. Right. And then when COVID, you know, really started picking up because it does have a long incubation period and people started dying, the Democrats do what they always do. They rewrite history to claim that they were the ones taking it seriously and Trump was the one that downplayed it somehow. And so they want, and they were going to go off. But the problem is there was all this videos of the Democrats telling you not to worry. COVID-19 is nothing. You know, that COVID-19 wasn't even as serious as the flu. Right. And so. They have this problem where, you know, in the past, you know, before, you know, social media really took off, they could get away with rewriting history and no one would be the wiser. But in, you know, the age of social media, people can go back and look at what they actually said, you know, and realize, hey, you guys are complete and total frauds and liars. And so the Democrats had this huge problem coming in to 2020 plus the Obama administration. Oh, they, they dropped the ball and failed on multiple pandemics or multiple outbreaks. And we know that they, you know, would suck and things would be a hell of a lot worse. Now look, you know, when it comes to COVID-19 and what has happened in the U.S., well, first of all, this is a global problem, right? This is something that has affected pretty much every nation on the planet, all right? That thing spread like wildfire. And by the time, you know, we got, you know, information or real knowledge about what was going on, it had probably already reached us back when the experts were saying there was nothing to worry about. The experts at the World Health Organization saying, don't worry, everything's under control. It's not human-to-human transmissible. You know, it was probably already in the United States spreading slowly. We just didn't know about it. And so by the time Trump realized that, hey, these experts suck, let's ignore them and start taking action to protect ourselves, it was probably already too late anyways. So the Democrats had a tough sell to make. And because of COVID, they've decided that they're going to do their entire national convention virtually, online, Well, that's turned out to be a bad idea for them. Why? Because they can't do television. They can't, they, they can't do online entertainment or at least how they're doing it is horribly wrong. I mean, a lot of people are talking about, Oh, this just looks like one big long zoom meeting, right? Where, but yet it's worse than a zoom meeting. At least a zoom meeting is live. What they've done with the Democrat National Convention, which, you know, the conventions are usually done live, right? And, you know, really have all of that, you know, excitement and music and all of that good stuff. Well, the speakers at this year's event pre-recorded their videos. That's right. And which is interesting because when you realize this, you go, Not only did they have people write speeches for them, edit the speeches, but they recorded the videos weeks in advance, which means they had the opportunity to not only have their great speech writers, but to go through, record, see how it went, re-record, edit, do things that would make it better, and they did not do it. But Another big problem is in pre-recording all these videos, there's no mention of Kamala Harris because a lot of these speakers had 
gone through and recorded their convention speech before Biden had picked Harris as a running mate. You know, maybe Biden should have, you know, released to the speakers who his VP pick was going to be so that they could add that in. You know, maybe, just maybe, because now it looks like everybody is ignoring Kamala Harris in uh, the convention. You know, it, it kind of gives this feeling that, oh, yeah, the VP pick, uh, you know, we just kind of don't like her enough to actually mention her name. That's the impression it gives. The DNC's convention has been going so horribly, right? So horribly that rating, ratings for the convention have dropped 48% from what they were in 2016. Now, all of the pomp and circumstance of these national conventions are designed to build up energy, build up enthusiasm, build up excitement for the candidate. Instead, what it's happening is it gives the impression that as far as the Democrats are concerned, their candidate for president is a snooze fest. That they had more excitement for Hillary Clinton, who lost, than they do for their current candidate, Joe Biden. That's the impression that it gives, and that is not a good impression. I mean, here it is. It's your candidate. And you can't generate enough excitement, enough care among your voters, among your base to tune in and even watch what you have to say. And just like Hillary Clinton, Biden has the unfortunate luck of running against a man who is a magnet for camera, a magnet for attention. You know, and so because of the snooze fest that this national convention is for the Democrats, you know, the media, you know, is not able to, you know, build up any excitement. They're not able to polish this turd. I mean, have you looked at them? They are struggling to find any way to make this seem exciting, interesting, or worth watching. They look bored watching it. And so what happens? Well, the media is not giving the customary week-long blackout of President Trump coverage. So Biden has the unfortunate luck of running against a guy who just has attention gravitating around him while going through and having a snooze fest for his national convention. And it it is just, I I almost feel bad for Joe Biden. No, I feel bad, you know, that they are running him as their nominee, given his uh, decline in mental health. But I also feel bad for the extreme embarrassment that he is going through. Now, beyond the optics, beyond the boring speeches, beyond, you know, everything that is going wrong, another problem for the Democrats is that they have a complete lack of self-awareness. They are completely delusional about who they are. So, for instance, you know, they have Governor Andrew Cuomo coming out and talking about how to properly handle a pandemic. Now, here's a governor who has completely failed in his response to COVID-19 in a state. Here is a governor that puts sick people into nursing homes leading to the deaths of hundreds, if not thousands, of senior citizens. Here is a governor that has proven that in time of a pandemic, he is about the last person you want in charge. And that's who they put up to go after President Trump on the handling of COVID-19? Really? Or how about this for lack lack of self-awareness? Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton, the guy who had an affair with an intern in the Oval Office while president, the guy who, as just before the convention, had pictures released of him receiving massages from one of Jeffrey Epstein's victims, getting on Jeffrey Epstein's plane headed to Pedophile Island. And what do they do? They have him come out 
to try and bash Trump on undermining the dignity of the Oval Office? Really? You're, so you're gonna have Bill Clinton be the one to preach about morality and the integrity of the Oval Office? Really? I mean, can you say lack of awareness there? I mean, uh, as far as I know, Trump, if he is getting blowjobs in the Oval Office, at least it's from Melania, his own wife. But then again, if I was Bill Clinton married to Hillary, I'd probably uh, give up on family values and monogamy too. And then they have Michelle Obama, right? Michelle Obama is a very divisive and vicious person. She is very much filled with hate, and I suspect that she is also a bit on the racist side. Yes, I mean, if you actually listen to her, you know, th- that becomes uh, pretty much true. So, in any event, I mean, just like her husband, and she was married to the most corrupt president in the history of the United States. And she's going to talk about civility and the moral high ground. You know, her statements of, when they go low, we go high. You know, maybe, just maybe, you know, they should, I'm trying to hold back on some of the things I really want to say, but let me put it to you this way. It's kind of hard to be talking about the moral high ground, taking the high road when people are taking low roads, you know, to stand up for moral values, decency, and tolerance. It's kind of hard, you know, to take that seriously when you're invoking Black Lives Matters into that same speech, when you're at the same time promoting a racist hate group, right? A group that goes down and stops drivers because of the color of their skin, drags them out of their vehicles, and beats them nearly to death. Right? It's kind of hard to take your speech on tolerance seriously when you're promoting groups that do that. It's kind of hard to take your speech about civility seriously when you're promoting groups that say, loot the stores. It's your you know, you are owed something, so you should be able to rob the stores of everything that they have for your own personal benefit. It's kind of hard to take your speech of civility seriously when you're part of a party and you're supporting groups like Antifa, right? Antifa, who are burning down people's homes, businesses, and federal buildings, right? I mean, you, you kind of understand the optics of that, how bad that is. And, you know, it's not only all the successes of President Trump that was going to make this year hard. It's not, you know, the years of failures of the Democrats. It's not, you know, because of, you know, Trump handled COVID really good. And while the Democrats, you know, were initially saying, no, 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 spread it out. And the Democrats, you know, who, have in recent weeks gone out and gathered in mass numbers to quote protest spreading the virus you know further and creating another wave you know it, it it's not all that but the fact that your groups your base your voters are going down burning down uh, government buildings burning down businesses homes killing people for showing that they support the president or uh, the Republicans, dragging them out of their vehicles and beating them to death, going to their homes and threatening and and trying to drag them out of their home and calling for the complete collapse of the United States. It's kind of hard to sell the American people that you are a better choice when you're supporting groups of people who do that just because they vote for you, along with everything else. So the Democrats had a problem trying to convince people that they would be the better choice in 2020 to begin with. 
And this national convention is not helping. It's not helping them. And so usually by the end of a national convention, what happens? Well, usually that candidate gets a bump in the polls because it's a week-long coverage of them and all the festivities around them and people trying to talk about their very carefully crafted speeches. Right, there's usually a bump in the polls. However, with this national convention, Biden would be lucky if he comes out of this by not dropping in the polls. Right? If he just stays where he's at, right, that that in the polls, that would be his best outcome. And but the the problem uh, that Biden's gonna have here is that next week is the Republican convention. And does anyone think that Trump is going to put on a snooze fest? Does anybody think that Trump will be anything less than entertaining? I mean, instead of doing all these pre-recorded videos, do some live videos. Live videos where you can actually do questions and answers. Right? I mean, oh yes, one last thing about the lack of self-awareness. <laughs> Having... Oh my God. Oh my God. So what they did is they had Liawatha, Liawatha go out there and address the Native American caucus. Elizabeth Warren, who took a DNA test that proved that she lied for decades about being Native American and they still had her address it, which just goes to show that It doesn't matter what the facts are. It doesn't matter what the truth is. You know, Democrats don't care. Even when they are exposed as complete frauds and liars beyond any reasonable doubt, they just keep up the lie. And they just keep telling people the lie. And then if you call them out for it, they attack you as hateful, racist, sexist bigots. Because that's all they have. They have no actual ideas, plans, or even a platform. They just go off and talk out of their butt and then call you horrible names if you ask even the most basic of questions like, how are you going to do that? No, no, no. What's your actual plan? Provide me something specific and show them any data that debunks what it is they claim. But in any event, if Trump's national convention next week is even remotely entertaining then this is gonna be severely damaging to joe biden and the democrats because joe biden is not going to receive any bump in the polls from the result of this snooze fest and so if trump puts on a good convention entertainment and people tune in trump will get a big bump and his uh polling, which is normal after a convention, while well, Joe Biden received nothing. And, you know, we know that the media is always going to report Biden is up in the polls. I mean, we know that the polling data always overpolls Democrats. And they phrase the questions in order to be able to manipulate uh, the response to get the response that they want. Yep, but... You know, it, it is just one of those situations where, you know, Biden, you just got to feel sorry for him. Now, just before heading into this convention, Trump was able to get some really good news. A peace deal between the United Arab Emirates and Israel, right? Which was historic. And everybody knows that this is going to bring greater peace and stability into the region. And it's also going to encourage other Muslim countries in the region to go ahead and make peace with Israel. And, and remember, you know, Obama abandoned our allies and promoted up Iran, which chants death to America. Right. And that was the, you know, par for the course of the Obama administration, always abandoning our allies and propping up people who hate us, people that have as their mission the destruction of the United States. 
while Trump is supporting our allies, proving all the left-wing talking points about Israel and how they need to give up land for peace in the Middle East, was all BS, was all wrong. You know, the Democrats, they seem to be wrong on every topic. So with a historic peace deal having come through, you know, it, it kind of took the wind out of the excitement of the Democrat National Convention to begin with, right? So I, I just think that if we take a look at this, oh, wait, one last point. Another problem that the Democrats had going into the convention was they all skipped town. You know, the Democrats in the House all left. They all skipped uh, town in D.C., left without a deal on COVID-19 relief. They, they just packed up and ran out. They packed up and just left, leaving millions of Americans who are struggling because of the economic impact from uh, COVID-19, from all the Democrat governors shutting down businesses, preventing people from being able to go to work. You know, and now they're struggling, not knowing what to do, and they just leave town. They just skip town. And Trump takes action where he can through executive orders in order to try and alleviate that pain. So the Democrats already be you know, went into this convention with not only everything else that I had mentioned, you know, not only with the historic peace deal, but with Trump proving that how he cares about the American people and took action to alleviate their suffering. While the Democrats, the moment the, you know, the moment the school bell rang, so to speak, couldn't get out of DC fast enough, leaving everybody hanging. And then they're going to talk about how Trump lacks empathy for the American people. Really? And then what happens? You know, Nancy, when Nancy Pelosi decides, Oh, wait, this kind of looked bad. Let's call him back. Did she call him back to address COVID-19 relief? Did she call him back in order to find a, a deal to provide relief to the American people? Nope. Nope. Not one bit. She calls him back to address the post office because the Democrats are trying to steal the election by demanding mail-in voting. And let me try and explain the problem with mail-in voting. We see in areas like Portland, complete chaos. Groups like Antifa, Black Lives Matter, you know, are going around destroying communities, destroying neighborhoods, attacking people just for the color of their skin. And they are facing no consequences to it. The Democrats are protecting them from any and all prosecution. So it's easy to understand that if we were to do 100% mail-in voting, what would happen? Democrats would go around neighborhoods and go around checking yard signs. You know, if it's a Trump yard sign, what are they going to do? They're going to target them uh, to go through their mail to try and find the ballot that they're about to mail off and burn it, toss it away. For people that don't have yard signs, they'll go through uh, their mail, check who they voted for, and only those who voted for Democrats because, you know, Black Lives Matter and Antifa would somehow have hold of all the ballots or all the pre-addressed envelopes to mail in the ballots. You know, and only the Democrat ballots would make its way through. You would see them going through and breaking in to blue boxes, the, the post office's blue boxes that people go to drop off mail and sort through it in order to remove Republican votes. I mean, heck, if they're able to burn down federal courthouses without consequences, tampering with the mail is not really a big deal in comparison as far as the level of crime. But the Democrats, they know this. That's why their big concern is not COVID-19 relief. Their big concern is to try and claim, ooh, we need to do something about the post office. Trump is trying to sabotage the post office, you know, trying to sabotage mail-in voting. Well, no, we're trying to protect the integrity of the election. 
Okay, moving along, because I do have other things that I need to get to. There are some arguments going on uh, regarding the Confederate flag, you know, and, and being a symbol of racism versus it's a part of our history and Southern pride. And I get kind of confused by this argument about it being part of our history. I mean, I kind of get it because, you know, the Civil War, but let's try and keep in context what the Civil War was. The Civil War was the Southern Democrats trying to succeed from the Union to form their own country. They elected their own president, and they created their own flag. And so when I look at the Confederate flag, I do not see it as the history of the United States. I see it as the history of the Confederacy, which in a lot of respects was its own country. And what we did is we said, no, you're not allowed to break off and start your own country. And we went off and we defeated that newly founded country for the purposes of ending slavery, among a couple of other things. Yes. You know, but, you know, because of that, I do not see the Confederate flag as part of American history. It's part of the history of a country that no longer exists, the Confederacy. And so I don't necessarily understand this whole, you know, defending the Confederate flag as part of our history and being part of Southern pride, which is another issue. It's like, well, Southern pride, I mean, that, that was, you know, them, you know, this, you know, the Southern states trying to break away from the Union in order to avoid having to give up their slaves and giving up, you know, and trying to form their own country. And so I I don't necessarily understand the whole Southern pride, given the history of the Confederate flag. Now, I understand, you know, to some respect, things change, symbols change. I mean, the Democrats do this all the time where they take something and they change the entire meaning of it. They could take something that, you know, it has been an, as innocuous as, you know, giving the okay symbol and then change its meaning to go out there and now claim that it is, you know, racist and, you know, a symbol of white supremacy. You know, the Democrats go through. And so, you know, I, I guess it's possible that, you know, the, you know, rebel flag, the Confederate flag, You know, its meaning could have changed over time. I mean, come on, Democrats, if you're able to change the meaning of something even as simple as the OK symbol to go from being an innocuous sign of approval to white power, then why can't the Confederate flag change? Oh, yes, that's right, because the Democrats, you know, have appointed themselves the arbiters of language, the arbiters of what everything means that they determine what what is good, what is bad, regardless of what it originally mean, meant. They determine when the meaning of something changes. And, of course, they always interpret it in such a way as to cast their political opponents as hateful racist bigots, even though it's the Democrats that have engaged in all the atrocities and throughout American history. So, so I guess I'm kind of up in the air about the Confederate flag, you know, being, you know, a flag of another country that no longer exists versus the idea that its meaning could have changed. So I'm kind of, you know, back and forth on that. I'm kind of, you know, not sure which way I'm leaning, you know, on that. Uh, so what you can do here, uh, regarding, uh, the Confederate flag. You know, whether you view it as part of American history or the history of another country that no longer exists, and whether or not you think the meaning of the Confederate flag has changed. Go uh, to Twitter or Facebook, you know, uh, look up all Terran News uh, or Johnston Blog, you know, either one of those, and let me know what you think. Okay, and also there apparently is a debate about the Constitution, about is the Constitution undemocratic? Well, 
people who make this argument about the Constitution being undemocratic, that you know it flies in the face of democracy, are ignorant people who have no idea what we are. Right? We are not a direct democracy. The United States has never been a di- direct democracy. We are a representative republic, right? That's what we are. Now, a republic is a form of democracy, right? But it's not a direct democracy. And so this whole, you know, trying to bash the Electoral College, the House of Representatives, and the Senate, you know, these are ignorant people that don't understand that, one, we are a representative republic, not a direct democracy, and two, when they look at the House and the Senate today, they're not looking at how it was originally set up because they changed it back in the early 1900s. Yes, so here's how it went originally, how our founding fathers set up the House and the Senate. The House of Representatives was designed to be the representative of we the people, right? To be decided on proportion of the population to determine how many representatives a state got. And that would be done in two districts. And it's because the House was to be directly responsible to the people that all spending legislation was to set up in the House so that the um, voters, the people, had direct ability to determine their elected representatives and the course of government and spending, as well as having a voice in government and the laws that were created. The Senate, on the other hand, was never intended to be decided by a direct vote of the people. The Senate was supposed to be the representative of the state, the state legislatures. Now, of course, we the people elect our state representatives, right? So in some ways we had control there, but it was the state legislatures and the governors that were to determine the Senate. And that way, you know, the states would have representation for their priorities and we, the people, would have a direct voice and forcing the state governments to kind of, you know, be responsive as well to the voters, and the people, and therefore it was part of the checks and balances. Well, they changed that with a constitutional amendment, you know, um, whereby they made the Senate a direct vote of the people, which destroyed the Senate, you know, which went off and made the Senate basically, what's the point of the Senate? You know, it's no longer representing the states, it's the direct vote of the people, in which case, We already have the House. So there really wasn't a point to the Senate after they amended the Constitution. But after the amendment, they still kept the two senators for each state. You know, and this kind of screwed up, you know, our legislative branch. And another issue here, you know, was that, you know, knowing that, you know, the House being a direct vote by the people could be corrupted you know, by bribery and all of that and money in order to try and help them with their campaigns and getting reelected by having the Senate be a direct vote by the state and with all the people in the states. I mean, you take a look at, you know, for instance, Iowa, you know, the Iowa Senate, you know, it has a hundred people. It's harder to bribe a hundred people to determine that one senator. You know, and that senator could be recalled by the state at any time if they did not actually represent the state, which was a great idea. But now it is you vote for your senator, and then if they screw you over and stab you in the back, it takes you six years to do anything about it. So they could spend the first two or three years screwing you over, enriching themselves, being completely corrupt douchebags, and then just spend the last you know, two years making up for it because you have a short memory. But if it was still in the hands of the state, the state would be able to recall them at any time and replace them 
for not doing their job, for not listening to the state and not representing the state. And so, you know, I, I guess I kind of get, you know, the point that the Constitution may be undemocratic, but it was never set up to be de- democratic. It was set up to be representational republic. And when they take a look at the Constitution now, they're not taking a look at how the founders set it up. They're taking a look at it as to how it has changed through constitutional amendments. And, but, you know, this is the Democrats, you know, for you, right? The Democrats, they find, they find things that hinder their ability to take power. Things that, you know, were set up in place for the express purpose to provide checks and balances to prevent, you know, corruption and one party getting too much power to override everything. And then they try to claim that those checks and balances are irrelevant. Oh, they're undemocratic. Oh, they're signs of white supremacy. You know, they're always going out there and trying to convince you that we need to get rid of these checks and balances because they're outdated. They're not democratic. They're not, you know, pick pick whatever talking point that you want. They're just trying to do everything that they can to get rid of it because they realize that at this particular point in time, they cannot lie, get away with lying to the American people as easily as they did in the past. And it's getting harder with as radical as they have become to convince people to vote for them. So they have to find ways to get around your vote. And to do that, they want to completely change and rewrite the entire system, our entire government, change and replace it so that they no longer have to try and go out there and compete for your votes or convince you to vote for them. They just want to eliminate your voice from government altogether. Okay, just a couple of things uh, real briefly here. So the Democrats, of course, are still calling for the impeachment of President Trump. Obviously, if they're still saying we need to impeach him, they have very little hope of actually defeating him in the 2020 election. Maxine Waters is still calling for uh, impeachment, and the left is trying to bring back the Russia hope. The Russia collusion hoax, despite having spent nearly the entire first term of the president trying to investigate this and coming up empty every time. They even had a special counsel investigation and found nothing. But they're trying to bring back the whole Russia collusion hoax and are still trying to call for the impeachment of President Trump, which lets you know that. You know, if the election comes through, Trump wins re-election, but somehow, some way, the Democrats manage to take the Senate, well, we already know what the Democrats are going to do. They lost the election, but it doesn't matter. They're just going to remove them, and they're going to replace them with Nancy Pelosi and whoever's in line after Nancy Pelosi. So when it comes to this election, is we not only you know need to vote for President Trump, but we need to vote for Republicans down the line in the House and the Senate. Otherwise, the Democrats will just overthrow our government by going through and impeaching President Trump if they were to gain the Senate. And they'll try to throw another impeachment in the House. Because they already impeached him during his first term so that they can claim it's illegitimate. But if they can, you know, retain the House, they'll impeach him again to say, well, he's the first president to have been impeached twice. Ooh, he's that horrible. And that's how they're going to try and record history. So if you're going out there and you're saying, hey, I'm definitely going to be voting for Trump, then you need to make sure that you vote Republicans down the line. Otherwise, voting for Trump isn't going to matter because the Democrats are just going to try and remove him from office. And as we saw in the last uh, impeachment uh, attempt, the Democrats no longer feel that they need any real reason 
to impeach a president, and they don't need any evidence or witnesses of any wrongdoing or illegal activity to impeach a president. They can just impeach them because they just don't like them. All right, and one last thing. Well, actually, (laughs) one short note here. Uh, President Trump has warned uh, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio that if he doesn't get his house in order, you know, and doesn't, you know, stop the violence and, you know, bring down the murder rates, Trump is going to try and take action to bring safety, security, law, and order to New York City. I mean, this is one of the staples of Democrats' cities. High violence, high crimes, high murders. Minorities living in, like they're in third world countries. That's the staple of Democrat cities. I mean, take a look at how Democrats run their cities. And go into actual neighborhoods and communities, not the few select areas that the Democrats maintain for the elites but just go into where average people live. Go to minority communities, and they look like slums because the Democrats mismanage it. The, the, the Democrats have just gotten to the point where they believe that the black community will vote for them no matter what, so they, just, so they can go off and destroy the communities and to try and help motivate more black votes blame the destruction of their communities, and try to blame the conditions that they live in, the poverty and all of that, on political opponents that have no control in the area and haven't had any control in the area for decades. But Trump is going off and telling mayors, telling governors, you need to get uh, these criminals under control and within, you know, are reasonably under control, you know, get the murder rates down, get the crime rates down, or he's going to step in and do something. And the president should. I mean, if the Democrats are not going to enforce the law and protect their citizens, then Trump, as president, has not only the authority, but the constitutional responsibility to protect the citizens of the United States whether the protection is from a foreign entity or domestic entities. Now we go on to the last thing here, and this is just going to be quick, but it's interesting that the Democrats, as part of their reasoning for why we need melon voting, are going off and they're talking about COVID-19 gathering in masses is too dangerous while they're going out gathering in masses for protests. But it's interesting because a group of people meet in person to protest against voting in person. So it's okay to gather in groups to protest gathering in groups. It's too dangerous to vote in person. But there's no danger or threat gathering by the thousands to attack federal buildings, to promote liberal agendas. And so it is a complete hypocrisy. You know, they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth. It's too dangerous to do anything related to the legitimacy of the election in person. It's too dangerous for any, you know, right-wing groups or organizations or political parties to gather. But there's no danger in whatsoever from COVID for the left to promote and push forth their agenda. It it, it is really interesting. But the optics of gathering in person in order to protest, uh, gathering in person, claiming it to be too dangerous. It is, again, you know, if we were to go back to the theme at the beginning of this episode and why the convention is going as horribly as it is, you know, other than the fact that they suck at putting together entertaining shows and, you know, suck at virtual uh, conventions and suck at social media in general, is because of their complete and total lack of self-awareness 
and how they've gaslit themselves and become completely delusional. All right, so that's it uh, for this episode. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. I do want to thank all the new listeners. I've been taking a look at the stats over uh, the past few weeks, and hey, I am glad uh, that, you know to have all you new listeners tuning into the show. Just to make sure that you understand, this is not a daily program. This is not a daily news show. I my uh, schedule that I am uh, you know set on is that this is twice a week, Monday and Thursday. And there's a couple of reasons for that: capacity, one man, you know, doing all the shows and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's also because I'm a capitalist. I go where the money is, right? And this podcast, this podcast is not my bread and butter, right? At least not at this particular point. There may come a time when this podcast, you know, um, exceeds the revenue uh, that I make from other places, you know, such as selling on eBay, selling on Amazon, you know, or outshine my other podcasts that I do. Right. But and my list of priorities is I do the activities that generate the most money and then work myself down the line to the activities that generate the least amount of money. But it's all about going through and prioritizing all of that. So right now, you know, this is just a twice a week show until it gets to the point where it exceeds and becomes the number one money generator. At that point, yes, I will dedicate all the time to the show. I will hire staff for the show to help put together everything to ensure a daily show. But until then, you know, I'm just going to go through and stay committed to twice a week. Plus, eh, you can get burnt out very easily. Not just as podcast host, but as a listener, listening to politics every single day, especially when a lot of the things that happen day in and day out don't really change a whole lot. We tend to argue a lot about the same things. It's just what people are doing differently about those topics, right? So again, twice a week, thank you so much for tuning in. And I will be back again soon.